This is SciX, the Systemic Psychedelic Podcast. Welcome everyone to our session today at World of Wisdom. It's a very special podcast because it's part of the World of Wisdom Festival, which is happening both offline in Gotland, Sweden, and also online with a bunch of people from all around the world doing amazing sessions. And I have the pleasure of doing an interview today with Alex Schweizer from um, Orthogonal Thinker. And Orthogonal is a wellness platform dedicated to individual collective well-being via psychoactive compounds and clean label products. And Alex is an early stage startup investor with a track record of successful ventures and strategic roles. And yeah, welcome Alex and welcome to all the guests that are online in our Zoom room right now. Tanya, it's so good to be here. I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you. You know, I always love our conversations. Mm, likewise. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, I would like to start our session actually by um, talking a little bit about the state of the world right now, because World of Wisdom and also SciX and the, um, the podcast are all looking at how we can solve larger societal issues and the role of medicines and um, psychoactive compounds and all of that. So yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you, in your experience or in your perception are the most fundamental and pressing challenges we're facing as a species. I think as a species, what I've been thinking most about recently is how subtle a lot of the emotions we're feeling these days are. And that I think a lot of the flux and sense of change that we're all experiencing is, is affecting us in a really deep somatic level, but in a really subtle way. And that's where I really resonate with the idea of psychoactive change just because in order to achieve subtle somatic experiences i think you need to tune into a very deep aspect of yourself that most people normally couldn't tune into unless it were for something like meditation or psychedelics and you know there's obviously a lot of institutional problems that we're having whether it's with our healthcare systems or our justice systems but i think there's something that's unspoken that feels really off and It's, it's reaching to those realms that obviously I'm, I'm, I'm most curious about these days in, in my, you know, in my work. Hmm. And do you want to share a bit more about um, both how you personally and also how orthogonal is basically um, relating to psychedelics and other psychoactive compounds and approaches? It would be my pleasure to. So orthogonal structured as a holding company. We have a number of different assets and some of those are devoted to wellness and we're obviously talking wellness beyond yoga pants. We're talking about things like clean label food products and, and the thrust of our focus recently has gone to psychedelic medicine via our wholly owned subsidiary EI Ventures. Uh, everything we do with EI Ventures starts with the whole plants themselves or whole, whole fungi itself and we're building out supply chains that I hopefully, that I believe will hopefully be the, the plant-based supply chains in the psychedelic space. Personally, I, you know, I'm coming to this space as a psychonaut, as a meditator, um, as someone who believes in, in systems thinking and systems change. 
the portal for me in a lot of this was meditation. I've been meditating for about a decade and about two years into meditating, I wanted to address the psychedelic furniture I had in my head from college and some other more, you know, intentional trips. And rather than being a guinea pig, I went and just basically studied everything I could, read every, read every book I could on psychedelics. And that's where my passion lies. And so when I started thinking, when I started learning more about the psychedelic businesses that were coming, I felt this like very, very deep sense of a calling to the space because most of my professional career has been devoted to transformational industries, by which I mean newer industries, whether it be renewable energy or even even the arts that are looking into transforming older ways of doing things, implementing new systems and so forth. And to me, I don't think there's any industry around these days that's that's more exciting and perhaps transformational than than the so-called psychedelic industry. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I feel that, or how we see things at sites is that one of the important areas in all of that is leadership in the sense that there are some keynotes of power within um, current organization structures um, and the systems at large politics where people have a lot of impact on potential system change. And I'd be curious to hear from you about your view on how psychedelics could potentially have an impact on leaders. And maybe also whether um, for you personally in your career, you know, after those experiences and your own role as a leader, there have been any changes? It's a really deep question. I think ultimately speaking personally and knowing some of the experience I know psychedelics have had on my friends and some leaders I know, I think it just broadens your sense of connectivity and it broadens your imaginative capabilities to the extent where, yeah, if you're running a corporate organization or you're a leader in another organization, you're just going to feel more intertwined with the people that you're working with. And I think you're ultimately going to be able to reach a deeper level of connection that will, that will hopefully lead you to, you know, be a better connector, activator, and, and, and all the rest. I think when we look at SIAX, the systemic change that SIAX is really focusing on is is so profound and broad that I wonder if we, when we look at bureaucracies or we look at, you know, innovative businesses, how we can ultimately implement psychedelic curriculum into those entities. But at the same time, you've always been very clear how meditation is a form of you know, mm-hmm. psychoactivating, right? And I think for a lot of people, it, you, people can divorce meditation from spiritual stuff and look at it simply in terms of personal development. Um, but I don't know. I, I frankly think that if we really want to tackle the the, the deeper issues that we're dealing with as a society, there's going to have to be, you know, tremendous work done. And I, th- I, I don't think there's any better tools than meditation, psychedelics, and, you know, all the rest. Mm, yeah. Yeah, one thing um, that I was wondering, organizing an organization, I think it's also positioning themselves very clearly by doing things differently. You often mention that things are, um, the, the products are clean products and such. So how, can you kind of draw a connection between the leadership of orthogonal um, and you know, where, where all of those insights came from and the, the ethics that you have as a company? I think in general, there's this feeling of being outside of whether it's like this industry that's forming or outside of the normal scope of, I guess, American society. I mean, we are a Hawaiian based company that in itself is very (laughs) symbolic, right? Like Hawaii is integral to what we do. Um, You know, we're trying to pack in that Aloha spirit or whatever else, you know, into, into the company. 
the founders are, are two individuals, David Nixad and, and Jason Hobson. Both were investors. Both have had completely unconventional careers. Um, and I think within the psychedelic industry, and I keep sort of like shuddering at that phrase, but I don't know how else to speak of it, maybe psychedelic space. There's a certain game that's being played, right? Like I think a lot of former cannabis people coming into it, trying to implement new norms um, that are along the lines of cannabis. I think there's some sloppy thinking that's coming from that that framework. But ultimately, because we're not former cannabis operators, because we are a little outside of, of you know the typical US, European commercial hubs, we've just naturally taken on um, a different ethos. At the same time, the medicines themselves are different, right? Like, I think we're trying to honor the plants. We're trying to make medicines that are ultimately, quote unquote, better than, you know, a, a, a conventional psychedelic, whether it be synthetic or, you know, plucked from the ground. And that experience in making those medicines allows us, I think, to see kind of what's real and what's not and be an access for us when we look at, you know, our principles and, and all that. But I don't know that like to me, and I know you're really motivated by this stuff too. It's when, when I look at, when I look at psychedelics, I, I, I want this, this space to be as transformative as it can be. And I get really nervous about the notion of, of norms getting adopted. I mean, who decided those, why are we doing certain things a certain way? So I always kind of brush up against that, that notion and, um, push back against it if I can. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think part of, I mean, a similar um, tension that you already mentioned is um, also that between the psychedelic industry and then the very traditional side of things, like the shamans um, that, yeah. I mean, arguably are the ones that are closest to psychedelics, I mean, especially when you look at it from more from a historic perspective. So I'd be curious to hear your view on the role of shamanism and um, traditional indigenous wisdom um, and what's currently happening with psychedelics in the mainstream. Well, also, you know, in, in relation to the more, you know, the, the potential to have a positive impact on society. Well, I, I don't think people really know how to address that realm. I don't think people know how to reckon with those traditions while at the same time trying to mainstream these medicines and build an industry and whatnot. I hope though that over time corporate practices will be adopted that that do address those communities and honor them. I, I think that, you know, there's no denying that part of why we have psilocybin medicine is thanks to Maria Sabina. And like if people can use spores from her community um, to ultimately cultivate psycho psychedelic mushrooms, there should be some sort of mechanism where the community is profiting from that and just standing to benefit. And there, you know, there should be track and trace systems in place that allow for that kind of exchange. I mean, that's, you know, it's a higher level premise, but if we're talking about ethical supply chains and things of that sort, it should absolutely honor those traditions. Part of why I like the fact that we're focused on plant-based solutions is because it gives us more of a way to track everything from spore or seed onto their distribution. And I think in the process of that, we're, the, we're responsible to build ethical supply chains. That's just, that's more of a nuts and bolts business answer. In terms of shamanism and, you know, the, the philosophy and theoretical side of it, obviously I have my Western biases, but I could not be more of the mind that these are the most important 
traditions that inform psychedelics and that we have to honor them. I think we have the responsibility to honor them in terms of, you know, finances and, and compensation. But at the same time, you know, when we talk about integration and all types of protocols, we should absolutely try and harness that spirit and, um, you know, yeah, yeah, harness that spirit and at the same time focus in on how to incorporate the notion of reciprocity into that as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, thanks. And um, I think it's interesting actually when you look at mushrooms as because you're, you're mostly focused on psilocybin because I think they're the, um, there's not so much of a clear tradition as with some of the other substances, right? I think if you work with um, Iboga and Ibogaine, I think there's obviously more tension because it's so it's such a clear link, right? Whereas I think with mushrooms, the traditions aren't as as prevalent, or um, at least you know when I was in Mexico, I was trying to find a traditional mushroom shaman. It's actually, it wasn't even possible. Really? Yeah. So I'm not sure. Did you ever, or do you have any links to with orthogonal to any any mushroom related shamans, or do you do you know much about that? We know some for sure. Um, and the, we're working actively with some of them to try and think about those systems that I was alluding to. Um, but we're going to see, you know, ayahuasca is, there's a company now trying to move ayahuasca through the FDA and the same will happen mm. with Iboga and Ibogaine. We're, what's fun is that we're in the first inning, right? Like all this stuff is just starting to happen. But we, we, you know, this is particularly why I think it's important to have groups like Cyax and Northstar to really keep everyone grounded and, mm. you know, make sure that in, in the midst of having all this momentum, we think about the broader implications of this. And I think we cannot deny the fact that, you know, Western capitalism has the tendency to completely neglect the forebears mm. or a lot of stuff. Um, you know, that carry on tradition. So yeah, it much, but mushroom shamanism is definitely an esoteric. Mm, yeah. 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 And I think, I guess the other um, reason why I think there's less tension in the mushroom space, because there's less of an issue around, um, around the sustainable or sustainability aspects. Right. Whereas right. with Iboga, I think um, it's more of an issue. But also, none of this stuff's been commercialized truly yet. You know, I think if we wait two or three years, I'm sh the furor over a lot of this stuff when it relates to the distribution of, of psilocybin, I think will certainly be there if there are bad actors. And I would support that 100%. I think it's our obligation now as first movers in the space to make sure that we address some of these broader things um, so that you know, come five years from now, when, when we are able to reach more of a critical mass, we're not, we're not paying for the mistakes we're making, neglecting folks or whatever it is, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, another topic I would like to talk about is science and your view on what's happening in psychedelic science these days. And um, also what kind of um, research are you missing or would you like to see more of? So it, it, this is obviously a wonderfully broad question, but I think that what I'm going to focus in on is the notion of unique compounds and unproven compounds. And this is maybe where I'm a little naive and simplistic, but I, I really feel like, well, drug development is a fabulous realm and, and biotech's obviously a super exciting space. I'm most interested in finding ways to bring the medicines that people know work to market today, right? And I, I think non-hallucinogenic this, that, and the other thing is, is, is excitingly interesting. And I'm, I'm, 
I would love to try it in 10 years, but I think that, you know, we're dealing with really big problems. And um, if we can begin distributing medicines that we have access to now um, at a more critical rate, I think that's really kind of what I'm most focused on. In terms of where um, I'd like to see more scientific research, I would love, you know, for the, for our understanding of receptors to grow deeper and deeper. These days, I get a lot of psychedelic decks in which people say, we're going after the 5H2A receptor. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you are. Like, congratulations. That's, you know, that's, that's the main receptor a lot of these medicines work on. But we don't understand really the nuances of that to the depth I think we should. And um, I also am curious, you know, I think over time, we'll have a deeper understanding of, I think the unconscious and like the shadow and things like that. I think there's so much deep work being done, but we don't really have a quantitative framework for a lot of that stuff. So, mm. I mean, I would personally love to see more of that. Mm. And what's your sense? Um, because you're quite, you know, at the forefront of happenings in the psychedelic ecosystem. Um, and we've been talking a bit about that aspect of system change and having, you know, the maximum impact um, on the, the world out there. So what do you think is really the key thing holding uh, holding the psychedelic ecosystem back from really maximizing the potential impact? I, I think, you know, through conversations like this, we're talking really inside baseball, right? I think I've heard a lot of people go home and meet, I've heard of a lot of people from the psychedelic space go home and be with their parents and start talking about their work and their passions and their parents. Like, what are you even talking about? And that <laughs> has a lot of people have wake up calls to the fact that, yeah, like we're, we're in an echo chamber. There's a lot of work to be done in terms of destigmatizing these medicines. Um, I think obviously what's happening in Canada with Theracil and, and some of the state work in, in Oregon and groups like New Vision New York, they're all inspiring. I think the name of the game has to be destigmatization, um, obviously at a societal level, but also at a bureaucratic level with, with the FDA, which is moving along promisingly. Um, but I also, you know, there there's so much flux and change in the psychedelic space. I think part of what we need to accept is that, yeah, that that's going to be a part of this space for, for, for I think a number of years, but we should embrace that flux because we have the privilege of being able to, you know, steward these medicines to some degree, which I think is an amazing privilege. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah, thanks. So I think we've already covered all of the topics that I had prepared or that I was oh, cool. curious to mention, but um, I would really like to get some questions from the audience as well and to make this a bit more of a discussion and yeah, first get some questions and maybe also then hear some voice from the audience in relation to what we've already talked about. I just had a question about this, um, the aspect of, of leaders and, and working with um, psychedelics or working with sort of psychoactive technologies. Um, what is it? that one would tap into like how how is there um is there is it empathy that one would would gain from like in the leadership uh, or is it uh understanding or is it could could you sort of um, what have you seen is there are there good cases of, of leaders that are very much aware in this space and that would be the question I, I, you know frankly i'm very curious to hear tanya's answers on all this stuff but i guess <laughs> i should yeah, happy I, I to happy to add something, but yeah, 
do you first want to say a few words? Absolutely. I think I, you know, I think my service just popped out for a second. But in general, I think I think psychedelics, the analogy I like to use on a pretty simplistic level is that they operate as a tuning fork in a lot of ways. And I think the tuning fork would be for your, you want to attune yourself to the best version of yourself. And best meaning, I guess, you know, the way you conceive of yourself in that kind of Gatsby American kind of way, right? Like your own ideal of yourself. And I think obviously we're all imperfect, but psychedelics make you wake up to your imperfections. And so if you're a leader and you're not communicating with your team, I think in the most effective way, or you're, you're being short tempered or you're not, you're neglecting this area of your business. I think there's some sort of process that psychedelics force one to undertake that tune you into that and make you kind of reckon with um, those lesser sides of yourself. And that's all kind of basic. And I think kind of more of a first principles way of looking at it. But I think when you when you apply those to yourself and your your own personal development, and, and obviously there's a huge spiritual side, I think naturally you're going to elevate yourself. You're going to elevate your game, and it's only natural if you are a leader for you to keep you know kind of having that virtuous circle in which it, it continues to expand on itself. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that, and um, I would add maybe two other things. One is um, there are also some studies on this topic, and um, some work from Imperial um, is basically pointing mostly towards that aspect of connectedness, and that's connectedness to self, to God, to nature, and that one just really um, develops more. What you also mentioned, I mean, um, more empathy, and that it just gets harder to uh, to follow through with more selfish agendas so that's definitely one aspect that's also proven scientifically the other thing um and i think that psychedelics work in different ways the, the various psychedelics and how, how in various traditions it's being worked with as well and my experience personal experience with iboga was also quite interesting in that sense that i thought that iboga is a medicine that really makes you very straight because a lot of the things that we do that are bad for the planet, bad for other people are a lot about um, us just telling ourselves some stories of why it's okay in the end and kind of being lost in these, these narratives of excuses and so on. And Iboga has very much of that energy of, um, of a Greta Thunberg or Edward Snowden, which is just like, you know, stop with that bullshit. Just be honest to yourself, look at what's really happening and then take sober decisions. So I think that's um, another way of looking at that. Would anyone from the audience like to add a point on this or are there any more questions? I can, I can add just from a personal point of view. Uh, so no data behind this beyond my own personal experience, but uh, as a leader, um, my own work with psychedelics has, has, I think, done two things both connected me deeper to myself, my own shadow sides, understanding how I can improve my leadership um, and just general life as a human being in interaction with other human beings. Um, and then also certain medicines in certain settings have provided me with very clear insights, like ideas for innovation, structures for how we can structure uh, organizations or society and how we can, how we can create change. Uh, so for me, it's, it's brought value in both of those realms, so to speak. Thank you. It's, there's another, when you, 
reflecting on that, I think it, what came up was a sort of a question on, I mean, you have these, these wisdom traditions and this, this traditional setting um, where you have, it's, it's very contextualized, um, this entire, I mean, the, the practice. Um, and so, so let's put it this way, like one of the skepticisms that I have a little bit in the, in the, in the Western world or like the, the world that we live in, it's that it's quite fast and it's like you have a pill for everything in a sense. And then it, you take something and then it's done, you know? And so um, I'm not saying that you're saying that, but I have a, uh, my, my sort of reflection around psychedelics sometimes become where my skepticism comes in where I say like, okay, so you do you use it to avoid doing the work? Um, because I, I, my prejudice is that you can't really get away from the work and it's kind of what you're getting at now. I don't know if you want to reflect on that statement. Well, personally, I would say that microdosing has been a tool that allows me to implement these, this sort of work on a more day-to-day -day basis where it's gradual and I have to sort of tune into the medicine and it's more subtle, but that to me is more effective. And I'm certainly all for doing therapeutic work, but personally I, I need to, I need to be gradual and patient. And those are things that I struggle with. So I find that the microdose aspect of, of this work is often most effective for me, but I, I totally hear where you're coming from in terms of the skepticism. Yeah. I think one aspect is also that, um, Often people think that you once take psychedelics and you have a life-changing breakthrough and then everything is sorted out. And I think that comes from the fact that a lot of people have their first experience and it's completely life-changing. And then they talk about it straight after and that's kind of what people, or the kind of meaning that people make from that. And I think that's, um, I mean, it's also similar to, you know, when people go on their first Vipassana 10-day meditation retreat. Um, and then after a few months, you realize, oh, actually, that, that wasn't the end of the game and there's still so much more work to do. And I think then the solution to that is to really see it as, as a path and to see it um, yeah, as a path of inner healing, of personal growth, of collective healing and see psychedelics as one. I mean, from some people, it's just, you know, single intervention at some point that helps to shift something. For some people, it's continuous journey or almost like a relationship to a specific plan that they have over time, especially if you work with DHLs and longer um, immersions. And I think that's also one of the um, tricky things about some of these memes going around where it says, oh, um, Donald Trump should take ayahuasca because it's, <laughs> it kind of gives the false idea that you once take ayahuasca and then the problems are solved. So I think it's, it's kind of like a um, double-edged sword to, to talk about things that way. I think the corporate term I've liked to use for a lot of this stuff is triage. Like I feel like it, yeah, psilocybin on one hand will be very powerful, but then you're going to want to implement other tools. I mean, think about all the diverse things that you, you, when I asked you like, Tanya, what are you thinking about? You, you mentioned like five different religious practices, all these <laughs> different, like that's a lot of stuff. And like, I'm sure you're not juggling each one every day. It's probably one day it's one thing based on your mood and you know, all types of other stuff. So. But I, I, I think naturally a lot of salesmen are coming into the ring and saying, "Look, it's a yeah, it is this sort of panacea. It can it can cure all, and it's it's not nearly so simple." Thanks. Yeah, I would invite any more comments and questions if there are any more. Where? I'm wondering where is Niels? He's like walking around. This is like he's so high vibe out there. I'm just like I'm in love with whatever you're doing. 
I'm in the limestone quarry here with a on location world of wisdom folks in Gotland. It's beautiful. Plus I'm walking my two year old son. Oh you are? Trying to make him go to sleep. Oh yeah. nice. <laughs> nice to meet so you. This man. session is perfect. Likewise. Yeah. Lovely to make this connection. Yeah, I'm a bit jealous that uh, we couldn't do our interview at the actual World of Wisdom camp. <laughs> Definitely. Next time. Next time. Definitely. When there's no pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So thanks everybody again for joining our interview and thanks to Alex for being our guest. And thank you, Tanya. Can I just say, I, do, I you know, I really love SIAC so much. I just think <laughs> it really stands for on a political science level and a philosophical level, everything that I'm hoping to strive towards. And I just, mm -hmm. I think it's amazing the work you're doing and where you're pushing towards. So it's always so nice to talk with you. And thanks for including me mm, in this. Thank you very much for the feedback. And it also goes to Niels. I'm not sure if you're aware that Niels is also one of our core team members. Well, it makes sense based <laughs> on everything I'm picking up on. <laughs> Great, lovely. So um, yeah, then I would say that's basically the end of our session. Have a lovely remaining day, everybody, and enjoy the, the um, sessions offline and online. And take care. Thanks, everyone. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to SciX, the Systemic Psychedelic Podcast. <laughs>